1: Welcome to the Pastor's Study. Let me tell you a story. The year is about 33 AD. It's the last week of Jesus' life. He's in the Temple of Jerusalem teaching. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, who do not like Jesus, they're jealous, come up to him, Jesus, who gave you the authority to teach? And Jesus told them a parable. Here's the parable. Jesus said, a man planted a vineyard and lent his vineyard out to tenants. The man went on a long journey. When harvest season came, he sent his messenger to say, okay, we want the fruit of the vineyard. They beat the messenger up and threw him out of the vineyard. Uh, the man sent a second messenger. It's time for us to get the grapes the harvest. They beat him up, threw him up. Third messenger, same thing. Finally, the owner of the vineyard says, well, I'll send my son. Perhaps they'll respect my son. The son of the owner comes to the vineyard, we want our fruit. And the tenants said, this is the son, he's the heir. We'll kill him and we'll get the inheritance. They killed the son, threw his dead body out of the vineyard, and Jesus said, what will that vineyard owner do? He will come and destroy those wicked tenants and give the vineyard to others. What does all that mean? Here's what it means. God the Father in the Old Testament planted a vineyard, his chosen people, the Jews. He expected fruit from them. He expected obedience, but he didn't get it much. (laughs) So he sent a prophet, they beat him up. He sent prophet number two, they beat him up. He, He sent prophet number three to the Jews, they beat him up. Finally, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, they killed him. So what did God do? 70 A.D., the Roman soldiers came into Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem, and the kingdom of God was opened up now to others, the non-Jews, the Gentiles. That is what's called the parable of the vineyard. What I want to do on this program is share with you the four main things I learn from this parable. Let's pray first. Father, we pray that each one of us, will listen to the messengers you send into our lives, that we will hear what you, Father, are telling us, and that we'll obey and not be stupid or sinful and, and cast away your messengers. Speak to us, Lord, we ask now. In Jesus' name, amen. Four lessons from the parable of the vineyard. Number one, God has the right to his fruit. God owns the vineyard. He planted it. Um, He's the one who puts food on your table. He puts clothes on your back. All your mental and physical capabilities, all of it comes from God. And then to top it off, he sends his son to die for your sins to save you. I mean, God has done everything. He has the right to expect your obedience. There's an old hymn that goes, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. In other words, God owns everything anyway. It's His. He has the right to expect my obedience in life. You know, people talk about Women's rights, God, uh, abortion rights, civil rights, gay rights, uh, transgender rights. How about God's rights? God made us. God has the right to expect our obedience. Second lesson that I get from the parable of the vineyard, religious leaders often don't like God's messengers. The tenant farmers in that story were the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders. They didn't, and you know, it's still true. Some leaders in the Christian church hate God's messengers. Let me give you an example. We're gonna go way back to the year 1997. At that time, I was still a member, a pastor in the liberal evangelical Lutheran church in America. I discovered in 1997 That the ELCA Lutheran denomination pays for abortions with offering dollars. Abortions for any reason under its health care plan, which is paid for by offering dollars. I wrote 11,000 letters to every ELCA Lutheran church in America saying, what? You should have seen the mail I got back. Now, a good number of pastors agreed with me, yes, this is ridiculous, but a, a lot didn't. And Um, I I will tell you some of the, I I can't tell you. I mean, one of them said, who gives a blank? This is a pastor in the church. Um, Some pastors even still hate the message that God demands obedience. I'll say this. Just because somebody wears a collar doesn't mean they're from God. God. There's a Matthew 7, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So, the second lesson I get from the parable of the vineyard a lot of religious leaders don't like God's messengers. Third lesson from the parable of the vineyard God is patient. I mean, If it was me, I probably would have thrown the bums out the first month they didn't pay rent. But God is long-suffering. He sends prophet number one. He sends prophet number two. He sends prophet number three. Finally, he sends his son. God is really long-suffering and patient. He will send you a lot of messengers first. I I told on this program uh, some weeks ago of a day I got on an airplane to go to Italy I prayed that I might sit next to someone to share the gospel. And I was surrounded by 30 Mormon missionaries. I told you this story, the plane takes off. I open up my Bible. The young man next to me opens up his Book of Mormon. And we had a long talk. (laughs) And I tried to explain to him, Mormonism is not Christianity. There aren't thousands of gods. There's one God. You don't become God someday if you're a good Mormon. God didn't become God on another planet. God has always been God. And you know what that young man said to me? He said, my father is an evangelical Christian. He begged me not to come on this trip. My grandmother also is a Christian. She has been praying for me that I not come on this trip. And then for hours on the, flight to italy he had yours truly having to sit next to him i mean to me god is working on this young man sending him messenger after messenger after messenger so that's the 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 i think the main lesson from this parable god is patient but there does come a day in this parable finally god had enough and destroyed the tenant farmers. There is a verse in Proverbs 29, a man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken and there is no remedy. So let me ask you, has God been sending you a message over and over and you're just ignoring it? I want to encourage you, be smart, just do what he's telling you, He's a long-suffering, patient God, but there comes a day. So repent now so you won't have to go through the, the discipline. Last lesson. Messengers can expect two things, maltreatment and success. The messengers in this parable kept getting beaten up, but at the end they won. Because the, the, the farmer got his, his vineyard back and they were on the side of the farmer. And I want to tell you this. If you're going to be a messenger for Christ in this world, you'll get two things. You'll get beaten up. You'll get maltreatment. But you'll have some success. I mean, here's, here's a woman who said to me, you know, Pastor Tom... I talked to my daughter who's living with her boyfriend and saying, you know, that's a sin. And, and, and my daughter said, but I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Well, then if you're saved, first Corinthians six says fornicators don't go to heaven. And shouldn't you be following Christ? Well, I'm saved and just got really angry. And this woman said, pastor, Tom, was I too judgmental? Did I do something wrong? And I know this lady, humble, sweet lady. And I said to her, you didn't do anything wrong. She's giving you maltreatment because she doesn't like your message. I mean, here's another woman, this happened recently. She has a friend that says, oh, my God, a lot. So she said to her friend, you know, that is a violation of the second commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, her friend sent her an an angry letter, won't talk to her anymore. Pastor Tom, did I do something wrong? I said, if you did it lovingly and humbly, you didn't do anything wrong. My point is, if you're going to be a messenger of Christ, expect maltreatment. You should have read some of the letters I got when I sent out that abortion letter in 1997. Some of them went like this, and these are pastors writing me back. Pastor Brock, you're such a Pharisee. You're judgmental. Who are you to tell someone abortion is wrong for them? Where is your compassion? Life is more complex. Pastor Brock, you're too simplistic and judgmental. Well, compassion... Since when is it compassionate to kill unborn children with offering dollars? And so here's maybe, I'm a Lutheran. I believe we're saved by grace alone and not by good works. That's what Ephesians 2 teaches. It's our glorious central teaching of the Lutheran church. But watch how this gets twisted now. Here's one of the responses. Pastor Brock, we're Lutherans. We believe in the grace of God. So we can embrace the option of abortion knowing our God is gracious. In other words, because, because we're saved by grace alone, which I believe, kill your unborn child. No, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? His answer is, may it never be. The doctrine, the glorious doctrine that we're saved by grace alone was never meant to become an excuse for you to, to commit sin. And what, what's troubling, what's scary, some of these people are running churches. So, If you're a messenger of Christ, expect maltreatment. That's part of the package. But you can also expect some success on that trip to Italy with that Mormon. I didn't have success going over. Coming back, I had some success because I said my prayer got on the plane and I'm sitting next to two teenage girls. And I can't remember how we got into it, but we got into it. I talked to them about the Trinity, one God and three persons. Talked to them about salvation by grace alone and not by earning it by being good because you'll never be good enough. It's by the cross alone. I talked to them about the second coming. They soaked it up like a sponge. It was a wonderful discussion. So if you're going to follow Christ and be his messenger, you'll get abuse, but you'll get some success like they did in this parable. So I'm going to close by asking you this. Are you willing to become a messenger for Christ and put up with some maltreatment? There was a convert at a Billy Sunday meeting in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Before Billy Graham was Billy Sunday, early 1900s revivalist. And someone got up in a meeting who'd been converted and said this. On my farm, I raised livestock. There is not a person for miles around who would not go to great lengths to warn me if one of my prized cows got on the railroad track. But for 25 years, never a man spoke a word to me about my soul. There are so many people that have never heard the gospel. Would you talk to them about their soul? Here's a young man who had a burden for the next door neighbor girl. And he would talk with her about Jesus and she didn't like it. And she told her mother about it. And her mother said, well, next time he talks to you about your soul, you just tell him to mind his own business. And the little girl said, but mother, he acts like this is his business. (laughs) J.B. Chapman said these words, young man, young woman, old man, old woman, make the most of your life, go after souls, Go after them the best way you know, but go after them. Do not listen to those who warn you that you will offend people. Go after souls. Go after them by public and private testimony. Go after them by service and by prayer, but go after them. Go after them with love and a burdened heart. Go after them by song and praise. Go after them when they are hurting. Go after them when they are smiling, but go after them. This soul-winning life is your life. It is the reason you are left on earth. Reverend George Truett, the bringing of one soul to Jesus is the highest achievement possible in this life. And R.A. to win men to an acceptance of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is the only reason Christians are left in this world. And I, I, I'm just going to share one more story here. Back to Billy Sunday, early 1900s revivalist. Listen to this. Billy Sunday had a choir leader by the name of Mr. Rodehaver, and he told the following story about a little a boy who sang in his choir. Joey was not very bright. He was uh, de- developmentally slow. He would never leave the tabernacle at night till he could shake my hand. He would stand right next to me until the last man had gone in order to say goodbye. It was embarrassing at times. One evening, a man came forward to speak to me. He said, I want to thank you for being so kind to Joey. He isn't very bright, but he has never enjoyed anything so much as coming here and singing in your choir. He works hard during the day so he can sing at night, and it is through him that my wife and my five children have been led to the Lord. His grandfather, 75 years old and an unbeliever all his life, and his grandmother came here tonight and now the whole family have been converted because one boy was willing to be a messenger and sing in the choir. I just want to encourage you. You know, here's what we learned from the parable of the vineyard. Number one, God has the right to his fruit. He has the right to ask your obedience. You wouldn't be breathing without God. And a second lesson is if you're God's messenger, expect maltreatment and expect some success. Uh, Third message, third lesson is that god is patient he'll send you a lot of messengers first and then sadly the other message some religious leaders today within the church don't like god's message that god expects obedience that is what we learn from luke chapter 20 the parable of the vineyard amen
2: Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we ask Pastor Brock questions regarding the Bible. Pastor Brock, our first question, what does the word parable mean?
1: You know, the New Testament was written in Greek. Greek, uh, parable is a Greek word, parabole. Para means to uh, along, bole means to lay. So a parable is a laying along the side of. Hmm. Jesus would tell a story and then later privately, He'd lay alongside what the story really meant so the apostles could understand it,
2: yeah. So that the people listening understood better? Well, is that Well, that
1: would come later when the okay. apostles wrote the New Testament, but I think this was a mystery for the Jews. They didn't know what some of these stories meant, hmm. <laughs> yeah.
2: Why did Jesus speak in parables?
1: Well, you know, what you hear a lot is, well, he, Jesus wanted to make things clear, so he put it in concrete terms to make it clear. All right, there may be some truth to that because they would be written down and and, and things would be made clear. But Jesus' disciples said to him, Jesus, why do you talk to the people in these parables? And Jesus said, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So he was not, Jesus told these stories and the people in his audience, I think a lot of them, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them they probably got, but a lot of them they didn't and it wouldn't be until after he died on the cross and rose from the dead the apostles go out and then write the new testament that's when it became clear what some of these things meant you know jesus said to the disciples uh... that jesus peter says you're the christ and Jesus says, don't tell anybody that. Mm -hmm. Because they had this misconception that the Christ was going to kill Pontius Pilate, rule over Jerusalem. And Jesus says, don't tell people that I'm the Christ, because that's what they're expecting. I have to die on the cross first. Mm -hmm. I have to rise from the dead. So Jesus hid certain things because of people's misconceptions.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Does the vineyard parable mean that God is done with the Jews?
1: No. Read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. What happens in the parable of the vineyard God finally has it when the Jews kill Christ, and the Gentiles killed him too. They Romans were Gentiles, us, you know, non-Jews. So everybody killed Christ, me too, and you too, with our sin. Mm-hmm. But then God judges the Jews. The Jew, the Jewish nation, is destroyed in 70 A.D. when Rome invades Jerusalem. Doesn't come together until what, 1947 or 48. It mm-hmm. becomes the nation of okay. Israel, but. So God is not totally done with the Jews because all the early Christians were Jewish, Paul, the apostles. Um, and then he does talk in Romans 11 about Jews converting to Christ before the second coming. So we'll see, we'll, I, the way I read Romans 11, we will see uh, an insurgence of Jews into Christianity mm-hmm. before the very end.
2: Okay. Does God still take away his kingdom away from some and give it to others?
1: well in that story that's exactly what he did he took the vineyard away from these evil Mm -hmm. vineyard growers the jewish leaders and he gave it to someone else what he did was he gave it to um the gentiles and now we're in the age of the gentiles until those jews come in but you know i'll tell you what i thought of i my first church was a church in florida lutheran church uh, troubled church and I would go down and from Minneapolis, go down and visit and preach sometime in my old church. Well, the last pastor they got was very on the pro-gay side of things, pushing that theology. Mm-hmm. Well, they closed the church. Mm-hmm. The church dwindled to, down, and they couldn't pay the bills anymore. So that church was sold, and I was just down in Florida visiting. Now, who owns that church? A good evangelical bunch of Christians. Wow. And it reminded me of the verse in Revelation where Jesus says, you know, if you don't follow me, I'm gonna take your lampstand mm-hmm. and give it to somebody else.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think that's what happened.
2: Exactly. <laughs> so there you go. How do you share Christ with someone on a plane? How, how do you bring it up? Mm-hmm.
1: This can be hard. I mean, I do, I, for some reason, I share Christ on the plane or in the taxi cab pretty much more than anywhere else. And I pray before I get on the plane. And you, you just, um, and and sometimes it comes out easily, and sometimes it doesn't. If it's not happening, I'll pray under my breath, Lord, if it's your will, open a door. Mm-hmm. And boy, that can happen. I mean, I, I we don't have enough time, but I could tell you a story sitting next to this young woman on the way to Cancun with her boyfriend to whom she was not married. And, and she, I was, she knew I was a pastor and we talked, but out of the, and then you I wasn't I wasn't getting in to talk mm-hmm. about Christ. Out, out of the blue she says well pastor what do you think about all these people having premarital sex and I told her and she pulled her boyfriend into the conversation and she said now repeat that <laughs> <laughs> and I was about to wreck their trip but you know and and I, I spent like two days with that couple traveling mm-hmm. around but I just shared the whole gospel with them so Sometimes you just wait till the door opens.
2: Mm -hmm. And you were meant to be there.
1: I think I was. Her her Catholic mother did not want her to come on that trip. And I thought, mom's prayers put this pastor next to her.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Which denominations endorse abortion?
1: Well, some would say we don't endorse it, but we understand that it's a, an option. And if you pray about things and you feel it's okay for you, mm-hmm. sadly, the, the, uh, the churches that are firmly against abortion are the Catholic Church, uh, Evangelical Churches, Southern Baptist, most of these churches are good. The churches that are quite liberal on abortion is the United Church of Christ the Episcopal Church in America, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Some of those denominations pay for abortions mm. with offering dollars in their church's healthcare plan. Mm-hmm. That is from hell. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Hmm.
2: Does the Bible teach abortion is wrong?
1: It does. Uh, first of all, there's something called the fifth commandment, thou shall not kill. Mm-hmm. If you doubt that an unborn child is a real human being, Read Psalm 139, Yes, where, where the psalmist talks about how God knit me together mm-hmm. in my mother's womb. In fact, you and I were talking about mm-hmm. this. You had a couple other verses, too.
2: I like Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you a prophet to the nations. There you go. He knows us even before we're formed yes. in the womb. We have yes. a purpose, and yep. uh, Isaiah 44, Twenty-four Exodus four ten through verses ten through eleven Romans nine, verses twenty through twenty-one. There's tons of them well, throughout here, the Bible. Here's
1: another one: the reason you don't see children with Down syndrome much in America mm-hmm. is because overwhelmingly they are killed. And in ex, uh, Exodus four that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. Moses talking to God in the fiery bush, God says to Moses, "Who makes man deaf, dumb, seeing, yes. or blind?" Is it not I, the Lord? Mm -hmm. So God makes everybody, Down syndrome people, blind Mm -hmm. syndrome, that doesn't give you the right to kill it because you don't want to have that as your child.
2: I know. Sad, isn't it? Very sad.
1: I mean, Iceland now has no Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you read that recently. I did. Because they are so zealous to abort them. How evil that is.
2: And what's the next step, you know? Yeah. So... Well, that's the last of my questions. Oh, Do you have any others that let's you? Let's
1: see. Well, we got one minute, 58 seconds. And, you know, this question comes in a lot. Uh, and this, this viewer says, is it okay to be cremated? And, hmm. and here's the deal. There's not a Bible verse that says it's a sin to be cremated. So I can't say it's wrong. The history of the church has been against it. They've leaned toward having a regular burial, just to to witness to the fact we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Mm -hmm. But even the Catholic Church has has loosened up on this. Mm -hmm. So I can't say it's wrong to get cremated. I'm gonna give you my personal opinion. I don't wanna be cremated. Why burn my body when I die? No thanks. And and I know that uh, God God will raise everybody from the dead, including the bodies that have decayed in the sea. Mm-hmm. So it's not like God can't raise you from the dead. And in fact, I think of Henry Fonda, the atheist, when he died, the actor, he got cremated and they scattered his ashes over the Pacific or something somewhere. And I'm thinking, does he think he's getting away from God? <laughs> you can't get away. So everybody will be raised Mm-hmm. I guess I'd pray about it and, and do as you feel. I'm, I'm gonna lean toward doing what Christians have always done when I die. I'm not saying it's wrong though, mm-hmm. to be cremated. You gotta wrestle that one out with the Lord.
2: Seems like it's becoming more popular oh, it, In Minnesota Cremation. now, mm-hmm.
1: there's more cremations than, than regular mm-hmm. uh, burials.
2: Well, it's cheaper. It is cheaper. For one reason.
1: Cheap as I am, I still don't want it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, everybody, thank you for watching our show today. If you go to pastorstudy.org, you can watch all of our TV shows there for free. Um, we're on the air because of the generous uh, uh, support of our viewers. If you'd like to uh, pray about our ministry, please do that much. If you'd like to support us, you'll see you can do it at the website or you can see our, our address in just a minute. God bless you. have a great week. We'll see you next time at the Pastor Study.
0: Thank you for watching the Pastor Study.